know the love of Christ, Ephesians 3.19. To know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge is one of the things that the Apostle Paul prays for for the Christians in Ephesus. It's something that we should strive for as well. That is why this podcast is called To Know the Love of Christ. Each episode, we will study scripture in its context, but also dive deep to find the love of Christ, a love so fervent, so honest, and so faithful that it's the very essence of his being. We invite you to know the love of Christ. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to To Know the Love of Christ. We finished out Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, which covered wives and husbands and the role of submission in marriage. Uh, We also talked about why some view submission as a bad thing, but ultimately we studied and learned that submission in marriage is obedience to Christ. So today we're going to start out um, in Ephesians chapter 6, and today we're going to be covering verses 1 through 9, which you guys get to hear my lovely voice again because I will be leading this one as well. (laughs) But before we get into it, let's say hi to Dee and Stephanie. Hey. Hello. All right. And we, real quick, we have a a visitor in here with us who is not going to be on the recording, but if you hear background noise, that would be my four-year-old. So (laughs) we apologize in advance for that. It's cool. We like little people. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get started with Ephesians chapter 6. And um, D, if you want to go ahead and read verses 1 through 9. Sure, I'm reading out of the New King James. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Servants, Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. All right. Thanks, Dee. That was lovely reading. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. So before we hop into the question, I think it's interesting first to take note that in the previous episode and in the previous chapter, you notice that. Paul is talking about wives and husbands and now he's going on to the to the role of the children so after speaking on how husbands and wives should treat each other he moves on to the parental relationship looking looking at the first the first um four verses what does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord and how does this look when we're looking at this passage here there's a lot of I guess confusion or maybe misunderstanding in that phrase in the Lord that we see after children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will take that and twist it to mean you only obey your parents if they're Christians. um, And that's not what this is referring to. If you want to kind of move those words around, it basically means to obey your parents in a God-fearing manner. 
mm-hmm. because it is right because you are following Christ. Um, disobedience to parents can be kind of seen as a sign of alienation from God. And for a Christian, that would be very bad. Well, I mean, it's bad for anybody to be alienated from God. But if you're proclaiming to have that relationship, um, that would just be a sign that you don't. And it changes society in, in a whole, on the whole. Sorry. Um, but in the reverse, I think it can also be an indication of your intimacy with God when you can see that you do obey your parents I think it also means, I mean, just in a basic way, listening and respecting your parents, listening to them. And there's really no age limit on this. I mean, a lot of times when we think about commands to children, I mean, there would have been children in the assembly there, but he's also talking to grownups. It's not like we grow out of a commandment like this. As an adult, I should be evaluating my relationship with my parents and observing what I'm teaching my own children if I have children. What my kids see... That's what they're going to learn, and that's what they're going to do. If I want a good indicator of how my kids are going to treat me in my old age, I don't need to look any further than how I treat my own parents in their old age. Am I caring for them? How do I speak about them? Do I treat them respectfully? You know, these are things that my kids are going to pick up, and they're going to think it's okay if I don't treat them right. But, you know, if I do treat them how to, or teach them, sorry, how to treat my parents, you know, they're going to see that. And hopefully, if they're God-fearing individuals when they are older, they'll want to do the same. Yeah, good. How about you, Dee? <laughs> right out the shoot, I went a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I went differently, and you're, you guys are going to be the same, as usual. Well, I thought of it, okay, so this is... Like Brittany said, we talked about submission and the role in marriage. So this, to me, is the next example that he's given, and it's to children. He's addressing children. So we've all been children, right? We know we may not have had good parents or even bad parents or any parents at all, for that matter. But we've all been children, and we have seen older influences, good and bad. So Paul here is addressing children. Um, And I just love that because it shows the importance of children in the church, like um, Luke 18, 16, Matthew 19, 14, and Mark 10, 14. But it also shows the importance of teaching our children with the simple command of obey. All the kids understand that. They don't always follow it, but they do understand (laughs) what that means, you know. But Paul continues with giving excuse me but Paul continues with giving it scriptural backing so he's it's not like he's saying I'm just telling you this to obey because I can but because it goes way back from because he's quoting Exodus 20 21 honor your father and your mother in it it's interesting that it's the first commandment given after the commandments concerning God so you see the importance there Honor means, you know, high respect or great esteem. So if children are taught this early on with scriptural backing, like you were saying, Stephanie, it'll be a part of who they are, part of their character, like Proverbs 22, 6. Will they always live this? No, as Isaiah 1, 2 teaches us, but it's still a part of them. And and it's still our responsibility to teach. Yeah. And let me clarify, I, I wasn't saying that he was addressing the older people necessarily <laughs> i was just saying we don't grow out of that commandment uh, okay gotcha, like gotcha, I, gotcha. I agree i mean if you look at the immediate context 
the next part is don't provoke your children to anger. I mean, they would yeah. be living with you. When, but sorry if that was confusing. I wasn't meaning that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what about you, Brittany? What do you think? Well, I, I think the both of you made very valid points. You know, first of all, it is important to notice that evidently there were children present in the assembly because we go from speaking to the husband and wife and now, you know, he doesn't start the um, writing off with like if children are present or whatever. He says children, like he's speaking directly to the kids, which is very important. I think, you know, it's important to uh, realize that, you know, children may not learn everything in the assembly or memory or memorize everything in their Bible, but there is a benefit in them being present. Harm has had did like maybe two two sermons that were specifically for the kids mm -hmm. where he had them come sit on the front pew and everything. And I had never seen anything like that. And maybe I'm being a little biased because he's my husband. But <laughs> I thought it was one of the greatest things that I have ever I had ever seen because, you know, you think about so many times when the children are present, you know, the kids are sitting there and we're getting all these lessons. But most times the lessons that we're hearing, everybody can learn something, but most time these lessons are specifically pointed to the Christian or the adult who is able to understand uh, more clearly. So you think about verses like Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, or even um, Proverbs 4, 1 through 4, which says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching when I was when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. God says this, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign of you of your on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates but what is it that we're supposed to teach them you know if you back up in verses four and five it says "Hear, O israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and then you know the rest of deuteronomy 6 warns about disobedience so Again, will they live this? Maybe not all the time, but with still, we still must carry out our responsibility as parents first. You know, grandparents, Bible teachers, Christians, mentors, etc. All right. So I felt like I went a different direction with this as usual. <laughs> I went more practical, um, but I I immediately thought of Colossians three twenty one, which basically echoes this. But he tags on the end of it, lest they be discouraged. You know, don't provoke your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. Um, I think that's really important to note right there. But I think ways that we provoke them, just practically speaking, when we expect perfection from them, and when we feign that we are perfect in our own lives, when we, obviously, if we are abusing our children, that would provoke wrath, um, hypocrisy, Children are very, very quick to notice that. And I was thinking about Deuteronomy 6 as well, verses 4 through 9 there, where it talks about how we're to instruct our children. Um, and when you are doing this the way that God laid out, you know, when you're teaching them 
in all areas of your life throughout all parts of the day, it's very easy for them to see your life because it's on display. There isn't a part where you're not teaching them. And if you're being a hypocrite, I mean, like I said, they're going to pick it up really quick or very quickly. Uh, if you're too quickly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're mocking them or being cruel, and I mean, a lot of us hopefully aren't like this, but sometimes it does take a reality check. I mean, we all have times of the month that we're not as nice as others, or just a bad day. And I mean, these are human beings we're talking to. Am I treating them like a human being? If I refuse to love them the way they need it, some parents are not really built for affection. And I had a mother like that. I still have a mother like that. And it affected me in a way that I can't, I still haven't fully grasped. And so it affects my marriage, but also affects the way I treat my children. And I've, I've taken it and I've applied it the opposite way. Like I'm overly affectionate with my children. I feel like sometimes because I don't want to be that way with my own children, but I feel like withholding love from them and withholding instruction from them can provoke them. And I think ways that we can guard against that would be listening to them and not writing them off. You know, when they're upset, there's a time to shut things down immediately. And there's a time to listen, knowing them and their personalities and how they tick, taking time to pay attention to them and their emotions. You know, and when I'm disciplining, not overreacting and being harsh, you know, not doing the yank and spank. But praying for patience and wisdom and then setting up safeguards in our hearts and minds to evaluate how we behave and why it happens and notice how our children react to our behaviors. And I mean, just a couple more things. I feel like I've been talking forever. Consistency. Consistency is key. And I mean, in the next question, I'll talk about that a little bit more and elaborate on that. But I mean, if you're not consistent, it's... I mean, they pick up on the not fair thing, too, just like the hypocrisy thing. Mm -hmm. And along that line, impartiality, when you have multiple children, you know, like Dee mentioned in the Old Testament, we have some examples there. And I think about um, Jacob and Esau, Mm -hmm. you know, and the relationship there. And both of them had a parent that was partial to them. And I'm sure, I mean, we know that that inflamed the situation trying not to use huge words (laughs) (laughs) keep us with you yeah (laughs) yeah stephanie you made you made a point that i thought was very very good about how you said there were some things that you you felt that you were lacking growing up and you fully you still haven't fully grasped it And so you know that it affects your marriage. It can affect your marriage, but it also can affect the way that you treat your kids. And I'm not saying that your marriage is chaotic, but it just made me think, you know, if if the home is chaotic between husband and wife, you know, this will make the home a bad climate for adolescent obedience. So, you know, if, if the parents don't have it together, then how can we, number one, first, expect to properly discipline our kids when two adults don't even, can't even have their own sense of discipline between each other and and most times in in the family when you think about it the dads are always seen as the more stern ones the ones that you know hold the rod or you know or to hold up the family values or whatever it is fathers generally are seen as the more uh stern ones I would have to say that's probably not true in my case I think (laughs) 
in our family, the dad is the fun parent, and I'm the parent that always gets <laughs> I'm I'm on that boat too. So <laughs> I was, but you know, it was just interesting to notice that you know Paul did make this in verse four. He said, "Fathers, when you really think about it, if your family is set up how God has designed it, who's the first youth minister, or at least who should it be? The father." Yeah, it should be. It should be the dad. You know, he's the one that's supposed to instruct and to lead the family. And, you know, that doesn't mean that mom slacks off, but he should be the one to to lead the family. You know, I just thought that 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 was interesting. But you both made made very valid points. So is discipline still necessary? And is there more than one way to discipline? Absolutely. Of course, discipline is an act of love. It's the highest form of love because when you break it down, discipline is basically seeking the highest good or seeking the best for someone else despite any inconvenience or discomfort to yourselves. Uh, you know, we always say this is going to hurt me more than it hurts mm-hmm. you when you spank a kid. I remember hearing that a lot and I was like, yeah, right. And then yeah. when you get old enough, <laughs> oh man, does it hurt? Yeah. Like, and it's not just spanking, it's grounding. I mean, how inconvenient is it to have to ground a kid especially on the weekend of a birthday party and then you're dealing with you know attitude issues sometimes not all the time um and I I mean I have good kids I don't want everyone out there to think that my kids are holy terrors (laughs) they're not um but you know when you discipline it's no fun it's awful you hate it but you have an end goal in mind and it's a premeditated controlled admonition not an emotional reaction to satisfy your frustrations. So, you know, like I talked about earlier with the yank and spank, you know, you see that sometimes and I can understand why that would upset people. But the aim of discipline is always to instruct, not necessarily to punish. And there's a wide array of ways to discipline, like you mentioned, Brittany. And with each child, there are going to be different ways of disciplining. If you have multiple kids in your house, I don't discipline Clark the same way I've disciplined Carissa. And I didn't do it the same when Clark was at Rissa's age because they tick differently. Different things, mm-hmm. you know, set them off and different things upset them and different things make them behave different ways. But as you get older, you realize the whole I'm an adult and I can do whatever I want myth is a myth and it's mm-hmm. not so fun. And you realize that as, a, as an adult and kind of our point as parents is to get them where they realize that before they're out on their own. And, of course, every kid's going to test the waters when they go out on their own for the first time. But when our children are grown and no longer accountable to us, hopefully we've taught them how to take care of themselves spiritually and physically and train them to be able to do that for others as well as they bring people into their own family, whether it's a husband or a wife and then eventually children. And I think on that note, we also teach children how to receive discipline because once they're out of the house, they're going to be supporting themselves most likely. And when my kids grow up and get a job, they should be able to recognize constructive criticism and recognize overly harsh criticism. Well, I have three verses that I thought of, and they also came out of Proverbs. So when you were saying Proverbs, I was like, oh! They're mine, but no. Um, so Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, "He who's it's yours." Ooh, a beacher. <laughs> he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him properly, promptly. 
So lack of discipline equals hate. I mean, that's powerful, you know. Um, prompt discipline is necessary and shows love. Kind of like what you were saying, but not from a beating, but because the desire is for the child to learn, just like you were saying. So, you know, I mean, I don't want a jerk for a kid, basically, right? Yeah. Um, Proverbs nineteen eighteen, chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. So discipline while there's still opportunity for correction and growth. Don't destroy the child. Don't destroy his self-esteem or self-respect. Kind of like what you were saying. And also Proverbs 29, 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. So discipline puts the child on the righteous path, giving you rest in the immediate and in the long term. And he will give delight to your soul. So with all that said, yes, discipline is necessary and comes in different ways. You know, one of my sons, I used to have to spank or ground him from something or whatever for him to learn his lesson. My other son took mental notes. So for him, all he needed was the mama look, you know, and he'd immediately fess up or, you know, <laughs> you know, kids are funny. They think you don't know. But yeah, yeah, we know. So, but you know, if you think about it, God disciplines us too, you know, he, and he does it all in the same way. Sometimes I learn lessons the really hard, painful way. And other times it'll, it's, you know, during my Bible study and I learned, wow, I really need to change my ways in that. I think Paul is saying too, that we need to provide more than just a physical atmosphere for growth for, for our children. There has to be spiritual education as well and I think that goes back to Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5 but also um, I think about 7 second uh, Timothy uh, 3 14 and 15 but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus so this, this discipline thing, number one, it starts in the home, like we mentioned earlier, but this is something that we need to be instilling in our kids from the very beginning, from the moment that they enter, the, enter into this world, we have to start teaching them discipline and what that looks like and, and holding fast to it. And Stephanie, you said something else that I agree with. It, it is hard to discipline. I recently had to, to punish our youngest one and he just caught a really bad attitude and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to spank because in that, in that present moment, I was upset. So I knew that if I disciplined him right then and there, it would have been more out of frustration and anger than it would have been me disciplining him accordingly because this, no, you, you made me mad. So now I'm going to discipline you. And that's, that's not right at all. And you know, you could possibly end up hurting a child that way, but, um, but also, but you know, we had to, we decided to ground him. And so the punishment was every day for a week, he had to come home from school and go to his room. Y'all, I'm not even kidding. We were about a day in and I was like, I can't do this. We were like a day into the punishment and I would go to his room and I would check on him. And he just looked so sad and so pitiful up there. And I just had so much sympathy for him. And part of me was like, I got to hold firm. But I couldn't. So long story short, the punishment started Friday. Thank God I had Hiram because he made me hold on to it. He made- <laughs> However, by Monday, he and I both gave in. <laughs> Supposed to be a whole week and we gave in by Monday. But I think at that point, I think Andre had learned 
his lesson. He hasn't been grounded since, and he's been watching himself. So, but yeah, um, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So moving on to verses five through nine. Um, if we look at verse five, well, verses five through nine, we see that it's about bond servants and masters, or uh, if you you might want to say slaves and masters. Um, if we notice verse five, it says, "Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ." So, how would verse five apply to you today, or how would we apply it today? Well, we don't have servants or slaves today, right? So, this mm-hmm. would apply to the employee-employer relationship. I must work as if I'm working for the Lord. You know, he's my manager and the CEO. So my attitude, my work ethics and appearance must reflect Christ. I'm not just a Christian in the church building. You know, I am, I am a Christian. Yeah. And I think about, you know, passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when we, I was thinking about the previous question when we talked about displaying our kids, you know, part of that is instructing them, and I alluded to that before, but instructing them that in doing everything to the glory of God, that includes the workplace. I don't want to blame the generation behind us. (laughs) Because everybody does that. But I mean. Them young whippersnappers, I tell you. (laughs) But I mean, we grew up, and I know Dee, you're older than us, so you definitely grew up, where cell phones weren't really prevalent in the workplace. When I was in Mm -hmm. high school, not even have cell phones. Right, exactly. So, but I mean, like when I grew up, we did have cell phones, but like you didn't, you weren't allowed to have that on the job. That stayed in your purse when you got to work. If you had that thing out, you'd get written up. Mm. And now everyone, like you have a work phone that they have given you yeah. and you're allowed to be on your phone in some some jobs. We need to be training our kids that this kind of behavior isn't acceptable of a Christian and that they are better than that and that, you know, when you're working this way, when you actually look at the phrase here that says fear and trembling, it's the same phrase that's used in Philippians 2.12 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we need to approach our obedience to our earthly masters in the same manner that we approach our obedience to God in regards to our own salvation. And I hadn't really made that connection before. And then if you continue on to verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 2, it says, for for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Which I think that applies to the workplace as well. (laughs) That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Not saying that that's the next generation behind us. (laughs) That's talking about all the time, you know, in that context then. But I feel like every Christian can say that, you know, that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And then it goes on to say, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What an appropriate passage for what we're discussing. Mm -hmm. It's all about submission. And so I think our obedience is to reflect an attitude of submission. 
So if we look at Ephesians 5, um, 21 says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, you know, so it's, it can be hard. You're not always going to get the, the employer or employee who is just spewing rainbows and unicorns and is just happy to see you and just has a positive attitude. You know, that's just, that's not what it's going to be, but no matter who you are working for, it's important for us to remember that we are working for God, not them, not not the employee or the employer. Um, ultimately, our everything that we do is for the service of, of God. So I think that's important. And I don't think I need to harp on that too much. I think you guys made some very um, valid points. But um, just think about Acts 5.29, you know, it is better for us to obey God rather than man, you know. What is eye service and why does Paul say to guard against it so this word here really is talking about service that's rendered only while the master or the boss is watching and if you think about it eye service is really eye service meaning like me service and it's basically taking control of the standards and changing them to what we want it to be Mm. And I think about First um, John four twenty. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And while it's a completely different passage, I think it can apply here logically. If I can't handle someone else's standards, someone I can see. And I'm always constantly trying to control those and change them. And I, I don't know that everyone would necessarily look at, you know, basically being lazy on the job in that way that you're taking the standards and controlling them. But you're basically saying, I deserve to be paid for this, even though I'm not doing the work. And if we, mm-hmm. if we do that with people we do have a physical relationship with and see often, you know, obviously that's an indicator of how we feel about God and his standards. But why would God say, or why would God, which God inspired Paul, why would Paul say to guard against it? I mean, simply it's dishonest and it's not Christ-like. We just went through a passage last chapter where he said, he gave this list of things and he said, these things shouldn't even be mentioned about them. And while those things may seem so much worse than this right here, they aren't. And in fact, an argument could be made that this kind of life choice is observed by so very many people around you that it would be worse because they see that pattern over a long period of time. They see that hypocrisy. And I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. Um, it w- should be one that we all wouldn't want to hear. But have you ever heard, well, I thought you were a Christian mm. when you've done something. Mm. I think about people in the workplace. And I don't know if I've ever heard that. Like someone say that to me. By now I've heard other people say it. Like, mm-hmm. I thought they were a Christian. I can't believe they, you know, they clocked in 10 minutes late. Um, but like adjusted that time and said they were there on time, you know, and we don't think of it as stealing, you know, oh, well, they just take paper clips from the office or whatever. And I'm not saying, you know, if you borrow a paper clip, that's wrong. I'm just saying like when you're intentionally doing these things sneakily, we've got to be careful. I mean, overall, we just have to be very careful of how we present ourselves and present Christianity to the world. Romans 1.18 says that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. When we're unrighteous, we suppress the truth. We make it so that other people don't want to see Christ. 
but going back to what we studied, or what, yeah, sorry, stop. Yes, I see daddy's here. <laughs> sorry, I've written. Daddy's here. here. We're going to get her stuff and get her out. Hey, Rick. Hey. How's it going? Good. It's nice to see you. You haven't changed much, man. Good. <laughs> nice to see you. Thank you. Does it look bigger? No. Santa Claus? I don't know. I just said it because people leave somewhere and they'll be gone for like a couple months and they'll come back and be like, hey, it's good to see you. I've, you haven't changed much. You've only been gone for like three months. Oh, right. Is this looking better or worse? <laughs> it looks great. I like it. All right, come on. Let's just go. Bye, That's all. the verse didn't I yeah because is that the last mm -hmm. one okay good alright so when I was studying this out and looking at some of the cultural things I didn't know this but apparently there was like a reputation or a stereotype that slaves were lazy and that they only worked when the master was around it wasn't just like he was saying this like that was prevalent in the time. But talking about the degradation of society like we did with children not obeying parents, like Christians should never be contributing to that. We should never be the cause of the downfall of society. God set things up to be orderly, and when we refuse to do as we should, we contribute to that. We shouldn't be comfortable acting and thinking in a worldly way. You know, is our work ethic, like we talked about earlier, is it to God or is it to man? And the application of that phrase, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, that only works with wholehearted devotion. We can't be people pleader, pleasers or pleaders um, <laughs> because people pleasing is so dangerous. If our motive isn't Christ-centric, then everything we do can be corrupted. Yeah. Well, eye service is nice, right? It's a constant reminder of you know, look at me, I'm all that in a cupcake, right? <laughs> and then that's why we should guard against it. You know, it's a contrast to all we've studied so far. We mentioned early on in this podcast that we're living advertisements for the gospel. So if my life reeks of arrogance and pride and, and is the reason someone won't listen to the gospel, it's not going to be good. But if I'm working as a servant of Christ, it will be remembered by the Lord. And I might be a good influence, you know, when the time is right to teach the gospel to co-workers. I service, I, I thought that, you know, that, that means to um, not simply work when the boss is by, but do the same thing all the time. Um, and I think, I think, Stephanie, you mentioned, did you mention Colossians 322? 21, huh? 21. Oh, was it 21? Why do, well, I know that Colossians 3.22 is a repeat of Ephesians 6, 5 through 6. I also look at, at eye service as a, I think it's a temptation. Um, and some of this is what you guys have already said, but we all want to be seen, you know, doing 
doing right. But think about what about when we are overlooked, even after we have worked hard or, you know, will we say things like um, we won't work hard again because it didn't pay off. And you got to remember that from heaven's view, it always pays off. You think about first Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your, your labor is not in vain. So when you're a Christian, there is nothing that you cannot do. I mean, unless it's um, unrighteous, but we're speaking of doing the right thing. So there is no right thing that you can do that will never not be seen as honorable in the eyesight of God. Did that come out right? Does mm -hmm. that make yeah. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, workplace issues happen. I mean, that's just going to happen. I've mm -hmm. taught my kids that they can always say what they need to say, but be respectful in saying it. So going in all gangbusters will accomplish nothing, neither from the employee's standpoint nor the Christian influence. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. However, if I keep my cool, because, you know, Ephesians 4.26 said, be angry and sin not. And if I choose my words wisely, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt cor communication proceed out of your mouth. Um, I just might have some say in workplace decisions, you know, and, and if not, at least how I handled it was not obnoxious and brought shame to God. I took, I don't know, about six or seven verses <laughs> just straight from the Bible and thought that they they could say it better than I could. First um, Timothy 6, 1 says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So even despite all those circumstances, give honor to your bosses. Um, first Peter three sixteen having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, you know, having good behavior despite all those things. And you compare that with first Peter two twelve that talks about keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And then going down to first Thessalonians four eleven. To aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, which I understand all these are in a certain context, but all these principles can be applied to us as Christians and especially in the workplace. When there are things going wrong in the workplace, it's really hard to keep your cool sometimes, depending on your personality. And even if you're not an explosive personality, sometimes it's hard not to let that bitterness get in there and then fester. And you become so angry and frustrated at work that even when you aren't doing anything outright, because it's festered, your attitude stinks and you aren't the kind of worker that you should be if, you know, it is horrible benefits and unfair bosses that you're dealing with. But Ephesians 4.31, if we go back a couple chapters, says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I'm not saying that everyone should just lay down and, you know, let all these people walk all over them. But we can't let bitterness consume us. Mm -hmm. And whichever side of the fence a worker is on with these things going on, like if you are someone that is involved in a strike, 
you can't look at those people and say, oh, well, they're too complacent and they're okay with being mistreated and have a horrible attitude toward those people. And you can't, on the other hand, be someone that's like, oh, those people should be happy. Like, they shouldn't be striking and judge them and look down on them. But at the end of the day, we can't ever lose focus that we're called to be lights to the world, living for Christ and pushing his cause. And we need to make sure that we don't get so wrapped up in pushing a different cause that it detracts from that. For me, it's just basically taking what Paul said and, you know, like we've all been saying, applying those things to the day, but also remembering, too, that um, Romans 12, 2, we're not to be conformed to the world. So when these issues are going on, and I think, Stephanie, I think you touched on this some, when these issues are going on in the workplace, number one, in order for our light to shine, we can't be a part of that, right? Because we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We shouldn't, we shouldn't blend in with the rest of the people who are going on strike or having issues or different things. I think if there are issues like this, obviously the Christian has the right to stand up for themselves, but there's a godly way in which you can do it. You know, if you feel like you're having issues with your, your manager, your boss or whoever, you can request a meeting with them, pull them to the side. You know, if you feel like nothing fruitful will come from the conversation, you can leave. You don't have to take that either. You know, we don't have to just sit there and take being disrespected or whatever workplace issue is coming our way, whether we feel like we're being overlooked or we're not receiving the pay that we should. So I think it's it, it's important to remember to remember that. And, you know, like we said earlier, remember, too, that you don't work for man. You work for God. And if you are being treated disrespectfully, God will vindicate you. He will handle the situation, if not on this side of life, definitely in the next. Um, so I, I, I think those are some important things to, to remember, too, um, for the employee. But then also, you know, some of us may be, may be bosses. You need to think about the golden rule, treat other people as you want to be treated. Like, yes, these people may very well be on your payroll, but that doesn't give you the right to treat them any kind of way. Um, you don't need to try to intimidate people because intimidation doesn't produce the best uh, worker for you. So it's important to remember that as well. So, yeah. All right. Do you guys feel like this kind of went by pretty quick? Yes. I, I kind of feel like it went, quick, went by quick because we're on our last question. I know. Which is, drum roll please. <laughs> 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 Where do you see the love of Christ, Stephanie? All right. For me, I see it in the parental context here where we're talking about just parents and how we should behave. Because I think as I parent my children, you know, as the years go by, I just love them more and more. And God loves us perfectly. He can't love us any less or any more. He loves us the perfect amount. But I am human and God doesn't need forgiveness, but I sure do. And as I spend time with my kids, it's kind of an echo of that relationship with God. And I know how hard it is for me on this side. And like I said, I'm not perfect. Um, but I know God can be sad and God is pained with me sometimes. And I just feel his love through that, you know, in my, in my own relationship with my children. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah, for sure. I see it in the first word of this section, children. Jesus 
loved children. You know, he saw innocence and purity in them. He likens his kingdom to children. And, I mean, he sent the Holy Spirit to specifically address children here through Paul. I guess being a parent, I, I see it in the, the children and parent in the, the first four verses of chapter six, but mainly verse two, honor your father and mother. And then in parentheses, this is the first commandment with a promise. You know, so this is, and that's um, quoting Exodus twenty twelve, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, you know, my children will honor me, number one, if I properly discipline them, if I don't provoke them and things like that. But also I know that in doing so, my children are promised to live a long and healthy life for however long God sees fit, but they are promised some some variation of that. And it, it just makes me think too, how the, my time with my children are short. I want to relish in those moments, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I'm I trying to take all that in. And so I, I narrow it down to verse two because they have a promise attached to that. But it's more, it is for me as well. So that is where I see it. Good. All right. Does anybody else have anything they want to add? Actually, <laughs> verse one, six one is the first verse I made my kids memorize. Oh, really? Yeah. So when it's come time to discipline, uh, excuse me, what's Ephesians six one? They would be like, oh, I've known children obey parents of the Lord. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Sadly, this brings us to the end of this episode, but it was a lot of fun, and I hope everyone that was listening wholeheartedly enjoyed it. We pray that you have learned something from this, just as we have, about submission and realizing that submission is not a bad thing. We pray that in everything that you do and in everywhere that you go, um, you're able to see the love of Christ. So until next time, bye. We are so grateful you continue to join us. If you have been enjoying this study of Ephesians and would like to make it available to more of your family and friends or to anyone you think would love to study Ephesians too, please click like, love, or even share it. And in doing so, you will help spread the love of Christ.